Heavenly Father, Lord, I, we thank you so much for this evening, and Lord, we want to ask you to open up your word to us, give us understanding, and Lord, more than that, let us understand about the character, your character, and the character of these individuals that you are uh, working with throughout uh, Bible history. Lord, we want to understand how we should respond to you, Lord, and we want to uh, learn what we can so we don't make the same foolish mistakes. So, Lord, we pray now that you'd bless this time in your word, give us wisdom, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are uh, in the life of Solomon, and to remind you kind of where we left off last week, we left off mid-chapter 9, but Solomon has, uh, God has appeared to Solomon a second time, and he has given him uh, a, a reaffirmed a vision to Solomon that basically if Solomon walks in God's ways and keeps God's statutes, that he will continue to bless Solomon, and Solomon will never be without a man on the throne. So that's the promise that God makes to Solomon. Now, real fast, uh, I know I just told you to turn to Second First Kings 9, but before we get started in First Kings 9, I want to go to Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14. And that passage starts out this way. It's up there. Okay. Uh, When you come into the land, which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. You shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. I'm going to pause there. So God knows that Israel is going to eventually ask for a human king. Uh, originally, the idea was that God would be their king, and uh, the people would have judges that God would raise up, and they would minister to the people of Israel. But Israel got to that place, and I know, uh, let's see, probably a year ago when we were in First Samuel, we read about Israel complaining and saying, we want a king, and rejecting God as their king. And of course, they were warned that, hey, when you get a king, he's going to cause you to pay taxes. He's going to have your sons go off to war. He's going to take your land for himself. All those things that it costs for a king to be a king. Well, in the process of this, God already knew they would ask it. And so he gave a few rules for the people. And I just want to show you, uh, call your attention to these rules because we're going to see systematically Solomon breaks every single one of these rules. The first one is you're not to multiply horses for yourself. Now, God doesn't have a thing about the equestrian inclined people. I mean, uh, horses are a good thing. We, we love horses. But, but what the issue is, is horses represent armies. And, and horses aren't for hobbies in the Bible. Horses are for armies. And more than that, they're not to go back down to Egypt to acquire horses, okay? Because Israel was to trust in the Lord their God, not in their armies, not in their horses. Second thing the uh, king is not supposed to do is multiply wives for himself. Now, we already know that David had trouble with this, and uh, David had 
uh, his uh, wives, he, I think he had uh, seven wives and, or nine wives and, and uh, some concubines. No, nine total. Uh, seven wives and a couple concubines. Uh, but Solomon is going to take this to the obscene amount of wives, 700 wives and 300 concubines. So uh, we're going to see him break that. Last thing is, you're not to greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Now, it, it, notice it says, don't multiply your wives for yourselves. Don't keep adding up. And then don't greatly multiply silver and gold. Uh, so God's not saying you can't have silver and gold or be wealthy. Uh, certainly God had told, already had told Solomon that, Solomon that he was going to make him wealthy. But the idea is pursuing more and more money. Now, as we get into Second, uh, second Kings here, or First Kings, sorry, chapter 9, uh, the, Solomon is a very different individual than his father David. Uh, if you were to put David on the cover of a magazine, I kind of imagine him on the cover of Soldier of Fortune magazine. He was a warrior. Or, or maybe in contrast to that, he might have been on Worship Leaders Monthly. I don't know. Uh, because he was also this, this wonderful psalmist that loved singing these incredible worship songs to God. But if you were to choose a magazine that Solomon would for sure make the cover of, it'd be like Fortune 500. He, he would definitely be on that cover and, and have all of his business plans set up for everybody to, to, to look to. And, oh, man, he is like, he's the top businessman. And we're going to see that right now as we get into the character of Solomon. So let's go to verse 10 now, of chapter 9. Now it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. The king Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Then Hiram went to, from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of, uh, the land of Kabul as they are to this day. Then Hiram set the king 120 talents of gold. So Solomon, in return for all this gold and all this lumber to build the temple of God and the king's house, he told Hiram, the king of Tyre, hey, I will give you this land. Now, uh, there's a couple of issues that I already have with this, and I think we're starting going to start to see the breakdown of the character of Solomon. Because, see, it wasn't Solomon's land to actually give in the first place. <clears throat> this land was the inheritance of Israel, not the inheritance of Solomon. And and God never gave permission after conquering the land that that any king or anyone could give away that land or sell it off. And so the fact that Solomon offers this land already is a problem, but, but uh, Hiram comes down and sees the land, and you know, I've looked up this, this area of the land, and it, I, it doesn't seem like bad land, but maybe, maybe it was back then, I don't know. But Hiram calls it Kabul, which means good for nothing. This, this, is, this is terrible land, why do I want this? And Hiram seems almost upset, but then he gives Solomon more gold, so you know, I don't know how that works. Uh, but... Uh, but we see that Solomon kind of deals a little bit deceitfully. Now, I know in uh, business practices, people might say, oh, that was real shrewd dealing there, Solomon. But certainly it's not uh, worthy of the character of God because uh, we already saw with David, I don't know if you remember, but, but Saul had killed uh, 
men, and it was told to David that he had to go kill those sons of Saul, seven of them. I don't know if you remember back in, in 2 Samuel when David had to put to death seven of Saul's sons for the murder of these other individuals. So when God, when someone in Israel makes a covenant, God expects you to keep it. So Solomon here makes this bad deal with Hiram. Uh, he keeps the lamb, but not, not a character attribute that you want to admire. Verse 15, and this is the reason for the, uh, for, for the labor force, uh, which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, uh, the uh, Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Caesar, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone and taken Gezer and burned it with fire, had killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer, Lower, Beth Haran, Balath, Tadmor, in the wilderness, in the land of Judah. All these are just places that Solomon had developed. All the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All right, so here's a pop quiz. What do you already see? What's wrong with this? Anybody catch it there? What did Solomon build places for? His cavalry and his chariots, right? Well, he's amassing horses, right? Well, we'll go on there. So he's building all these places. Verse 20, all the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, all the otherites, who were not of the children of Israel, that is their descendants, who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely, from these Solomon raised forced labor as it is to this day. But of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. Okay, so what's, uh, what is it, forced laborers? Uh, what do we call that today? Oh, slaves, that's right, yeah. So Solomon made a bunch of slaves of the people of the land. Now again, this wasn't what God had told Solomon to do. They were to completely take the land. Well, he didn't tell Solomon, but for the Israelites, they were to completely take the land, and he sees it as a labor opportunity and and takes them as slaves. Verse 23, others were chiefs of of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built her. Then he built the uh, Milo. Now, if you remember in in, uh, chapter 3, that's when he marries Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, now there, there three times a year Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he had built for the Lord. And he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord. So he finished the temple. Now I want to just look at verse 25 for a quick minute. I'm not sure because really as we, we see this chapter, we're going to start, we, we started out this chapter and earlier with nine with God telling Solomon, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. And it's the same covenant that he had made with Israel that Israel had failed to, to keep. Uh, and right away we start going into Solomon doing things that are not, are disobedient to God. So when we get to verse 25, it, it seems a little strange that it's here in this list, and we're going to continue on in this. But I'm, I, I can't help but wonder if this is more common that Solomon himself was making the offering, or if Solomon was allowing the priest to make his offering. I don't know. But, but it certainly seems strange where, where it's located in the text. 
And I can't help but wonder if Solomon was also breaking the command of the Lord with these offerings, uh, because we're going to see certainly his heart strays far away. By chapter 11, he starts going after other gods. Verse 26, King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth and of the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Then Hiram sent to his, his servants with fleet seamen who knew the sea to work with the servants of Solomon, and they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. So now they're going to Ophir. Now, we don't know where Ophir was. Um, it's kind of lost in history, but it was obviously a place where there was gold. So he had built a fleet to go get what? To go acquire gold. And I think there was something else we read in Deuteronomy about that. Yeah. Um, all right, chapter 10, verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. I'm going to stop right there. Sheba is what would be modern-day Yemen. That's where Sheba was, uh, the queen of Sheba was from. It would be modern-day Yemen. So she hears about Solomon, but notice how she hears about Solomon. She hears of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. So the word is getting out that, that God, this God of Israel, is blessing this king in immense ways, and she's so inquisitive about it that she wants to learn all, all about Solomon and come and test him. Now, there are legends about Solomon and the Queen of Sheba falling in love and all this sort of, that's all nonsense, okay? Just forget about all that stuff. It's not, it's not at all in the biblical account. Uh, but... She wants to hear from Solomon uh, uh, and test him with these hard questions. So Sheba, the queen of Sheba, comes all the way from modern-day Yemen to Jerusalem. Verse 2, she came to Jerusalem with a very great uh, retinue, which is a group of, with camels uh, that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Okay. So the Queen of Sheba comes to test Solomon with these really difficult questions. Now, I mean, just consider that for a moment. You're hearing about this guy that supposedly God has blessed so incredibly, that he's got all this wisdom, and you can go ask him any difficult question. She's like, okay, we're going to make the journey. She goes with this big group to, to, to Israel to make this journey, and there she starts asking his questions. She's amazed that he's answering all his questions. There's just no problem too difficult for him to answer. Then on top of that, she starts seeing all his house and his servants and all these things. Now, now nowadays, people build things up, right? They, they have a lot of hype. You go uh, participate in it. You're like, oh, this is it? That's all? You know, uh, we went to, last fall, we went to Knott's Berry Farm had... Uh, uh, Halloween. Was it called Halloween? Yeah. And they had all these like, uh, it, we were so excited to just go do something because of the pandemic. So we took the kids. It, it wasn't Scary Farm. So we weren't abusing our kids. Anyway, 
But, but uh, so it was following, and uh, you could tell that somebody from Disney has moved on to into knots uh, because of the decorations. And you, you got this card with all this like fancy food, like berry cobbler, pumpkin, whatever. Uh, and you could go try different foods and punch it. And uh, you're, you're reading this menu, and you're like, "Wow, this this menu looks amazing." Uh, you know what? I want to try the. I don't know, name it, whatever uh, thing. So you go over to the Knott's Berry Farm window and you're like, yeah, it doesn't look like, like a fine dining place, but here we go, punch it. And then you taste it and you're like, yeah, it doesn't taste near as good as it looked on the, <laughs> on the menu card, you know? But we were just happy to be out and about and walking through Knott's and, and being around other people. And, uh, but, but nowadays people build things up all the time and generally it's not near as good as it would be built up. Well, this is the very opposite uh, Sheba has heard about this and she gets there and she's so impressed. It says she had no spirit in her. Like she's completely like, Oh, I don't even know how to take all this in. This is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And that's truly Solomon's palace as we go on here. So she has no more spirit in her as she sees all that God has done. Uh, everything that God has done in Israel. Then verse six, she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom." Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. So this woman coming from Yemen, modern day Yemen, Sheba, she comes all the way because she hears about the fame of Solomon. And in experiencing Solomon, she returns it with praise for God. Now if you remember God told Solomon that if he continued to walk in his ways, uh, and he would make Israel great. He would be, Israel would be a blessing to these other nations around them. Uh, and it would, it would uh, make the name of God known. But if he turned away to foreign gods, then God would make Israel a bad proverb. They basically, like, don't do an Israel, right? Because you're going to end up totally corrupt. So right now, uh, Sheba comes, or the queen of Sheba, and she sees all this, and she's like, everything is true. Blessed, look at how she turns into, blessed be the Lord God. You know, I, I, I think that that's kind of amazing that she saw the blessings of this individual, and she said, I got to turn it back to praise. Well, Solomon, verse 10, then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in a great quantity, and precious stones, because you know, when you meet somebody who's super rich and amazingly blessed, you might as well just give them more. There never again came such abundance of spices as the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of the almug wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such almug wood, nor has the like been seen to this day. So this precious wood never again was seen again. Verse 13, now King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired. Whatever she asked besides what Solomon had given her according 
to the royal generosity, so he turned and went to her, so she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. There's only one sad thing about this. There's one thing Solomon didn't give to her. He didn't give to her God. He never gave to her God. She saw the, the, the amazing blessing of God. But it certainly, I mean, we don't know for sure, but it certainly doesn't seem like she brought the Lord God back with her to Sheba. She just came and was amazed. And, and I really think that this is a turning in Solomon as he's acquiring more and more wealth. Look at verse 14. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Uh, so a while ago, this would have calculated about $290 million a year. Uh, so with inflation today, maybe a billion? No, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I can't even imagine, fathom, just, just the gold that's being given to Solomon, $290 million a year. Um, so look at what he does with it. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. Uh, 600 shekels of gold went into each shield, $35,000. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each, one, each shield, about 10000 uh, per shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Now, gold shields, what are shields for? They're for defending, right? Uh, military work. Gold is worthless as a military. I, it's soft. It, it's not hard. You, you, it's not a hardened material. It's, it's, it's not going to be good for battle, but it's great for showing off. And when you have too much gold, what do you do with it? Let's make shields, right? Uh, moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Uh, not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon." Silver was kind of worthless in the days of Solomon. Verse 22, for the king had merchant ships at sea with a fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So they even had awesome apes and monkeys. Verse 23, so King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Verse 24, now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and meals and, and, at a set rate year by year. Look at that. They're, they're so impressed with Solomon, they're just bringing him more. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamore, which are in the lowland. Also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Keva. The king's merchants brought from Keva at the current price. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver, 
and a horse 150, and thus through their agents they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Well, in Solomon's day, silver was worthless. It was like for paving streets. They were like stones. And Solomon is not only amassing great wealth, but now he's going down to Egypt to amass horses and chariots. God warned Solomon earlier in chapter 9. He warned Solomon that, Solomon, don't let your heart turn away from me. Stay obedient to me. I, I think sometimes God warns us of issues in our own lives. And rather than listen to the Lord, we continue on in our own hubris. Just our pride takes over and we, we continue on just ignoring God on that issue that he's brought to our attention to call us to change, to be more conformed to the likeness of Christ. We start pursuing after the things of this world or the activities of this world and we miss out on the marvelous relationship of just being uh, in close relationship with the, the Lord our God, having that wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. Turn with me over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes, you're going to go past the last book of poetry. Actually, yeah, last book of, uh, Song, Song of Solomon is last book of poetry. Ecclesiastes, then Song of Solomon, and right after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes, so... Ecclesiastes is a book of vanities, right? Things that are not worth chasing after. And, and, and it's also about the things that are worth pursuing after. Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon writes this incredible wisdom. Unfortunately, I, I don't know that he listened to this own wisdom from the Lord that God had given to him. Look at verse 10. It says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase, this is also vanity. Now, vanity is, is something worthless. In some of your uh, Bibles translated chasing after the wind, so to speak, uh, it's just purposeless. Like you can chase after it, but you'll never obtain it. You'll never get the joy you hope from it. And so the first statement he makes is that silver's not going to satisfy nor riches, uh, those who love abundance and want to continue increasing, it's vanity. It's, it's, it's a chasing after the wind. You're, you're not going to be satisfied. Verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. Look at that. That's, that's right out of Solomon's own household. The goods are increasing, so what do you got to do? You got to increase the number of people working and everything. And, and so, so the, the, the number of people that you have to feed increases. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? That's the only profit. You just get to watch your increase and then watch it decrease. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There is severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. Verse 16, and this, is also, this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go, and what profit has he who has labored for the wind? 
man, Solomon, who has amassed so much wealth and built up all these buildings, and he is, like I said, the cover of Fortune 500. He's just this incredible businessman, very different Israel from the time of David, where David was conquering. This is like the most wealthy of all the nations. And now he's looking as he writes Ecclesiastes saying, this is actually a severe evil, all this wealth, because the fact is, is I can't take anything with me. Just as I came into this world naked, naked, so shall I leave this world. And, and as Solomon goes through Ecclesiastes, he's going to ask those most important questions of life. He's going to ask, what's the purpose? What's the meaning of life? And ultimately, he's going to come to this conclusion that it's to fear the Lord and to please him. That's what the conclusion Solomon's going to come to. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Jesus told a parable about this. I'm kind of watching my time here. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. I'm in chapter 13. That's why I can't find it. All right. We did it. I made it. Jesus told a parable. Now, a parable, before we read this, a parable is to explain a spiritual truth through physical circumstances that we can understand. So this is what Jesus says. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will, will be required of you. Then whose will those things, uh, sorry, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and not, is not rich toward God. So Jesus tells this incredible parable. It's a good story. It's also kind of a tragic story because this person comes in all this wealth, but the result of all that wealth is let me just build bigger barns. And now that I'm finally done building bigger barns, I eat, drink, and be merry. And, and uh, then God says, you fool. Your soul is required of you tonight. So how do we not be the fool? Well, it's answered here. Be rich toward God. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have wealth. God obviously gives to you what he wants to give to you. You get to decide how you use that wealth. But, but wealth is a lot more than just money. Wealth is also your time. It, it's your, your talents, those things that God has gifted with you, and your treasure. It's, it's all of you. And you get to decide how you'll use it to be rich toward God. You get to decide. But some people use their time, talents, and treasure to acquire things, amass things, to make themselves more comfortable. And, uh, and they want to build, build more comfort for themselves. And, and they've never yet done anything for the kingdom of God. But, but eventually, someday, I'm going to start serving the kingdom of God. Someday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my tithe. Someday, I'm going to whatever the case is, serve in ministry or do something for the Lord, someday I'm going to do it. And God says, you fool. Today your soul is required of you. 
And, and I'll tell you right now, if you don't start setting aside the time for God, the talent for God, the treasure for God, you will never have enough of it to do it. A lot of times we think like, well, you know, if I, if I just get, uh, you know, past the season of being busy or if I, if I just get a little more money, then I can start giving to God. Or if I just do get a little bit better at this, then I'm going to start serving God, whatever the case is. And you'll, I'll tell you right now, you'll never do it because your heart is completely focused on the wrong thing. Just set it aside to the Lord. Be rich toward God. Um, don't be like the fool who just built up for himself and then his life was required of him. Jesus also said this in Matthew twelve forty two about the queen of Sheba. Matthew 12, verse 42, if you could put that up. Jesus said, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus said this in response to the rejection of the Pharisees to him. They were rejecting him as Messiah, rejecting his wisdom, and and Jesus said, you know what? The queen of Sheba will rise up in the judgment. Okay, listen, when you see the judgment happening, the great white throne judgment, and we're all watching God judge and the books of the book of life open and people's names not found in it. When you see that lady over there saying, oh yeah, that one didn't believe either. uh, That's the queen of Sheba. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) She's going to be there. And I love the fact that, that Jesus knows that she, with the knowledge she had, with the, the little information she had, she realized the Lord God. She realized all this blessing of Israel. And now that Jesus Christ has come, one greater than Solomon is there, one with greater wisdom than Solomon. And, and I want to say this to you. If you think Solomon was wise, Jesus is even wiser. Uh, Jesus is the wisest man to ever walk this earth. And the most incredible part about this is that Jesus is willing to let you invite him into your life to give you his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells in the believer and, and he's given us his word so you can be wise too toward God. Anyway, I want to encourage you to listen to the Lord God tonight as we close. Don't spur, spurn the, the, uh, the warning of God. Don't, don't seek to desire the things of this world. But give yourself over to God and let God lead you. Uh, And I think you'll see that God will continue just blessing you like he did with Solomon. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the testimony that the Queen of Sheba gave to us, uh, Lord, about your wonderful goodness. And God, when you decide to bless, there's no one that can out-bless you. Lord, when you decide to give, we, Lord, let our hearts be just recognize that you are the giver of all things. And uh, Lord, for those of us who are convicted by how we give our time, our talents, our treasures, Lord, I don't want people to be guilted, but I want them to seek you. Lord, let each one call upon you and decide how he might change their, how they might change their life. You just do that. You pray to God, Lord, what am I not surrendering to you? Lord, we give you all the thanks and all the praise for tonight. And we thank you for your word and the wisdom that you have for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
when you start thinking about all the things like, how am I going to take care of this? Or how am I going to pay these bills? Or what about my health? And all these things that you want to consume your thoughts and your worries and, and build your anxiety about. Jesus said, consider Solomon and all his wealth. He wasn't even dressed as well as the way God clothes, clothes the lilies of the field. And how much more does God care for you? So you just, just consider the, the wealth of Solomon and how much more God cares for you. Now may God bless you and keep you. May he give you peace. Amen. Amen.